We're looking at Galatians chapter 6 tonight. Galatians chapter 6. And we're just going to read the first couple of verses. I said, to, I text Bryce after church. He, he didn't indicate that he wasn't going to be here tonight, but I just for some reason sent a text and said, listen, just let me know if you can't be here for some reason, because I knew Candy was sick. I said, you know, just let me know, and I'll be glad to fill in. About an hour later, I got a text. It's almost like I kind of knew that I was going to speak tonight. And uh, I was thinking about, then, then the next question is, you know, at three or four in the afternoon, I have to be here at five, what am I going to preach about? I normally put so many hours into studying, so I'm just, you're, you're depending on my memory tonight, and that's not always so great. But uh, we'll look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look through verse uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 6, but we're going to just read verse 1 and 2. Just to stretch your legs, stand with us, and let's read that. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then it says, Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. God bless us. We, we need you every hour. We thank you that you're so great. You know how great you are. And we thank you for that. When we look at everything you've created, we noticed your handiwork. How can someone not see a designer behind all that wonderful design? Lord, we thank you for that. Bless as we look at this practical portion of scripture tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I'm going to entitle this simply, Brother Mike, an exposition of Galatians 6, 1 through 6. I don't have a title tonight, so it's an exposition to me. Exposition means we draw out the truth. There's eisegesis, which means we, you know, we preach what we want to preach. It's not in the text. We read something and we preach our own ideas. Exegesis is just a simply word, means to draw out the truth. So it's an exegesis of Galatians chapter 6. Now, there were two uh, Galatians at, in the time that Paul wrote, and there's a little bit, scholars go back and forth on was this northern or southern Galatia, and I really don't think it matters. We do know there were many churches in Galatia. You know, it wasn't like today where we have a, a big facility and we can drive. Back then, you know, they had churches in houses, and you'd just go a few miles down the road, there'd be another church. And they all worked together. When a letter was sent, they'd pass it on. So there's many churches in Galatia. Look at uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, where Paul is speaking now, and rather than John this morning, hopefully I'll say Paul tonight, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So there were many churches. Uh, you know, we, we have different ideas. Paul started 51 or 52 churches but you don't find those all listed in here. We have historical documents that tell us he started that many churches. But there were multiple churches. And he visited Galatia between his second and third missionary journey. And uh, he wrote this epistle about 55, 56 years after Christ was on the earth and uh, in between those two visits. Now, Judaism... Uh, was a problem in, in this area, in this church. The Judaizers were people who said, all right, we've been saved, but we've got to still keep the law. Now, we know scriptures, the handwritten ordinances were nailed to the cross. We're not under the law anymore, the ordinances of the law. 
It's still the Word of God. It's still inspired. We still learn from it. We still preach it and teach it. But we know we're no longer under those ordinances. Uh, we, we know that it was so difficult to live by the law. We needed Christ to redeem us from some of the aspects of the law, right? And so we're not under that, and I'm thankful for that. But Judaism had crept in the church. And in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we know he says here, I marvel, he's talking about the Galatians, that you are so soon removed from him that calleth you uh, unto the grace of, Jesus, of Christ to another gospel. And then he says, which is not another. Now, that's difficult to interpret that, so you have to do a word study, and there's two different words there, another, two different Greek words. One means another of the same kind. Another, the other one means another of a different kind. So he's saying here, you're removed to a, another gospel, a gospel that is of a different kind. And then he says, which is not another of the same. You know, we, we're, you know, we're adding our words to that. We're not adding to scripture, we're explaining that. So that's why some get confused over that. He said, why have you stopped believing the gospel and, and, and started to believe in a totally different kind of gospel? What, what's wrong with you? Then he says the same thing, um, in um, chapter 5, in verse uh, chapter 5, and I, I'm trying to read my notes. They're normally typed. Tonight they're not. Chapter 5, he's rebuking the Galatians. He talks about standing strong in the liberty that Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You don't need to go back to all that. You're free. You can now eat, you know, pork barbecue. Uh, they didn't have barbecue necessarily then, but you're free. And you can now wear clothing that are made of maybe cotton and uh, uh, polyester rather than just one material. And you can have different crops on your farm. You don't have to go back to the law. You've, God has freed you from the law. The law was a schoolmaster. Nobody wants to be under a schoolmaster all their life. It was a, guide, a guidance for people to know right from wrong. And there were extreme requirements in the law to teach principles. And for instance, why would it be wrong to sow a field with two different crops, say wheat and corn? Well, it, to us, it doesn't make sense, but God was teaching the law of separation. So we put some examples, extreme examples out there. You can't mix crops. You can't wear mixed clothing. And he gives lots of examples like that to teach separation. And then in grace, we've already learned the principle of separation. Now we move into grace. We've got separation ingrained in us. But we have our freedom as well. And it's tough for them to learn, I'm sure, being under the law. And now all of a sudden, you're free from those regulations. So you have that freedom, but you still have to remember the concept of separation. We're supposed to come out from the world and be separate. We aren't supposed to be like the world. And those examples, which seem extreme to us, taught that principle. Separate from the Canaanites. Separate your crops. Separate your clothing. I mean, they weren't, they, and then the Pharisees took it to extremes. You know, they weren't allowed to even talk with Gentiles or mingle with them. And they, they went to extremes with this stuff. And I'm so glad that Christ said, I've nailed those ordinances to the cross. And with that, he nailed all the extremism and all the exaggerated things the Pharisees added. 
They shouldn't have been part of it anyway, but the Pharisees went crazy on this stuff and decided that everybody had to be under their yoke. But in chapters 1 and 2, Paul then defends uh, his apostleship. He rejects Judaism. He, his apostleship is defended. Then in chapter 2, he confronts Peter. He says, Peter, you're wrong. And he, taught, he confronts him in chapter 2. When you go into the city and, you are, and the, Gentile, the Jews are there, you'll ignore the Gentiles. You're wrong. Years ago, I can remember a, a girl liking me. And I was always real nice to her until I was near the girl that I liked. And then I'm thinking, please don't sit by me. Please don't chase me. And it was difficult for me as a young Christian man in middle school to, you know, to uh, be nice to her when I wanted to impress the other girl. And of course, I would be wrong if I wasn't nice to her. You know, you need to be consistent in your walk and not be a respecter of persons. So that's a funny example. But think of the times when you've been around somebody and then someone will come up, you're kind of embarrassed that they would come up to you and you're like, oh no, your so-and-so's coming, please go. You know, and then you realize, you know, I'm not really genuine. Uh, you know, I put a mask on sometimes and the Lord convicts us of that, right? We've talked this morning, same thing again. We can't be a respecter of persons. And so Peter is just rebuked here for being a respecter of persons. Now let's go to chapter 6. We have just sort of want to introduce the book written by Paul, of course. And we pick up in chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken and fall. I want to say something here about the word man. Just a simple little word. It's the word anthropos or word anthropology. Why does that matter? Because the word anthropos means upright. You know, I hear this crowd talk about us being the same as animals. We're the same as animals. I shouldn't say us. We're the same as animals. That's a lot of malarkey, as my dad used to say. That's malarkey. We're not the same as the animal kingdom. We're the only thing that walks upright 24-7. You know, there's animals that stand up on their feet once in a while, a bear and a monkey, but we are upright. And we have a spirit, a most holy place in us. Animals don't have that, and animals don't walk upright. We are different. We are a higher created being. That's what Scripture teaches. So, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. The word overtaken means caught. Sometimes they kind of fell accidentally into trouble, and other times they uh, were premeditated and deliberately fell into sin. Either way, if someone's overtaken in a fault, there are clear instructions in here as to how, as believers, we're supposed to help them. Now, we talk about different types of sin. Jesus talked about he who hath the greater sin. All sin separates you from God. You know, we want to we pick on certain sin groups. I understand that. Preachers preach certain things over and over. But sin is sin in the eyes of God. Did you know if you are a respecter of persons, your fellowship with God is broken just as much as if you committed some more serious act? Now, there's serious, more serious consequences for some sin than others. Being a respecter of persons won't end, cause me to end up in jail. But robbing the bank, I'll end up in jail. So there's more serious consequences. But in each case, my fellowship with God is broken until I confess it. And, and so it doesn't matter what sin has overtaken someone. It tells us how to deal with this person. 
Now, the word here overtaken in a fault, the word fault uh, has to do with stepping over the line. We could say missing the mark, trespass. It's not the word transgression, different word. That's a more serious word, transgression. But this is to miss the mark, to come up short. And, and we have several verses to look at. Look at Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. <clears throat> and a couple of verses we want to look at here in Psalm 19, verses 12 and 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. And then notice here it says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So there's different kinds of sins, right? There's different kinds of attitudes. Did you know it's sin to run a red light even if you didn't mean to? Right? If, you, if the police officer pulls you over and says, hey, you ran the red light, oh, I wasn't paying attention. You still ran the red light. <laughs> but I didn't mean to. You still ran the red, tie, red light. And the law says that is wrong. So I got to cite you. You know, we, we oftentimes do things without thinking. We don't premeditate everything. There's been a few times in my life I premeditated running a red light. You know, if your wife's in labor or something, <laughs> thinking nobody's around, I'm going. You know, I'm not delivering a baby. You know, and still wrong, but you know, God understands that, but sin is sin. We can never justify sin. Romans says, should we do, do right, do wrong so we can accomplish right? And it says, God forbid, he doesn't want us to ever sin. Even though some, sin, some sins are obviously overlooked, you think of Rahab lying to hide the spies. I would lie too. It's not right to lie, but she chose what she felt was the least worst thing to do. And so she lied to hide the spies. And guess what? God understood that. God rewarded her for sparing those spies. And her faith in the Almighty God justified her. It wasn't her lying to hide the spies that justified her. It was her faith in the God of Israel. Amen? And that personal faith she had justified her. Well, let's look at some other verses. Because Leviticus chapter 4... Old Testament offerings really uh, bear this out, this idea of certain sins being treated differently. And, and uh, Leviticus chapter 4, there were different offerings. Now, Brother Dan, all these offerings, I mean, the truth is, if we preached a whole series on offerings, it would be weeks and weeks long. I've studied those, and I have a lot of notes on those, and I have my Bible well marked on those, but I'd have to totally refresh because... It's really exhaustive. There's so many types of offerings. And they all had a purpose. In Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 2, read this verse. It says here, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest is anointed, uh, to do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. So you have a sin offering. A sin offering was an offering for sins that you didn't really mean to, com need, mean to commit. Excuse me. Uh, you didn't mean to commit. But it's still wrong. 
And offerings, remember, were payments. You had to offer offerings as payment for your sin. Don't forget that because a lot of times we talk about the one time a year, the Day of Atonement, when they offered the lamb and took care of the sin for the... No, no. That is true, but that's not all. There's so much more to the story of offerings. You had all kinds of offerings as payments. Some were just to say, thank you, God. I praise you, God. You know, but every time you sinned and did things wrong, you had to offer different things. They offered, you know, goats and lambs, and they offered turtle doves, pigeons, we'd say. Just so many different things, bullocks. All these things were used for different purposes. You had the sin offering, and you had the trespass offering for specific sins and for guilt. And so you had all these different offerings as payments. So sin always had to be paid for. And so here you have someone who's overtaken. The cross is taking care of all the offerings. So they don't need to make any offerings here when they're overtaken. It's a whole different concept now, right? This is a brother in Christ who's already saved, but he's in sin. And now we learn how to deal with him because the once for all concept of Calvary is going to hold until Jesus comes again. Well, you don't ever need to make an offer. I mean, I'm thankful that I don't have to go through the offertory system and, and make an offering. We can make an offering of money. We can offer ourselves. The Bible says we can offer a, a, an offering of thanksgiving with our mouths. But, but that's it. We're not killing animals and offering them anymore. Because Jesus Christ was the lamb slain once for the sin of the world. So that's another thing that ended at Calvary, thank God. So now we're here dealing with a brother who uh, is overtaken. And it says, ye which are spiritual. Ye which are spiritual. I like Ephesians 5.18, which says here, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a, 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 a substance. He's a person. This matter of filling uh, is often misunderstood. This means to be controlled by the Spirit. The one who's controlled by the Spirit, you see, because the Spirit is either in us or he's not in us. If you're a born-again Christian, if you've been saved, if you've become a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, however you want to phrase that, when you put your faith in him, the Spirit is automatically part of your life. He has sent the Spirit into your heart and he says, and because you are sons, he has sent the Spirit in your heart, crying out of the Father. Romans 8 9 says, for if any man hath not the Spirit, he's none of his. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it means you're not part of God. You're not God's child. And so here it says that we're to be not drunk with wine, not controlled by wine, but, but controlled by who? By whom? The Holy Spirit. And so all kinds of scriptural verses on this matter of being filled. You think of John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit in your heart. And then in John 1.12 to Galatians 4.6. You, you, you're a child of God, and he sent the Spirit in your heart, and he lives there, and he's never going to leave you. He's there. That's why when you do wrong, you feel, ugh, kind of cray. Because <laughs> he's not happy. The Holy Spirit's not happy, and he lets you know that. And when you're doing the right thing, he lets you know that too, and you feel real good. It's just nothing like being in fellowship with God. 
And if you're not right with God, maybe you need to confess a whole bunch of things and get back into fellowship and listen to his still small voice as he leads you. So here he says the spiritual one. Galatians talks about the fruit of the spirit, the ninefold fruit. Do you, do you exemplify the ninefold fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, temperance. I probably, yeah, I missed one or something there. Uh, the old memory can't always quote things anymore. But are you one who has the fruit of the Spirit as a big part of your life? Like I said this morning, we're so preoccupied in this life with getting our pension vested, getting our house paid off, buying a new car, and uh, going to the ball games, and that's our life. But we're here on a spiritual journey. And the most important thing we're going to do is what we do for God. Those other things aren't going to matter. Let me tell you something. When you leave this world and you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, but, but I, I, I vested my pension and I had a nice car. You think God cares about that? No. What have you done for me? And so we need to be obedient to the Spirit, exemplifying the fruits of the Spirit. And then we get to this wonderful word, restore. We are supposed to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now that meekness, remember, we learned that that's the same word translated lowliness. A person who has absolutely not an ounce of arrogance in his life because he realizes what he is. One writer describes it as somebody who cringes when he's around people because he realizes he just doesn't measure up to what he's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I just, I could imagine how I'd feel if I walked into the room and the 11 apostles were there with Jesus and I sat down and I, ooh, I would just feel so unworthy like nothing. It's a good thing if I felt okay. But I walked in and thought I was better than them. That's not lowliness. Lowliness is realizing you just aren't what you should be and, and, uh, and, I, don't, and, I, and I don't mean, I gotta rephrase that because Jesus Christ is called meek and lowly. He never sinned. So it's not, not because of our sin we feel that. It's just we do not feel, um, uh, we do not have an ounce of, I, I got to stop there and say, we do not have an, uh, don't have an ounce of pride or arrogance in us. Think of Jesus, how lowly he was. He washed the disciples' feet. Read uh, John 13. I, I want to back up and give you a little bit more on lowliness because I messed up there a little bit. In John 13, he took off his outer garment. That's a sign of humility right there. They, everybody had a garment in those days. They all spoke of something. Pharisees had their garments. The Sadducees had theirs. The rabbis simply wore a robe. Everybody had a certain type of dress. We don't all dress that way today. Back then, you knew what someone did by what they wore. So there was a lot of arrogance. But Jesus wore the robes of a rabbi, and they were very poor. And he was just a humble, simple guy. In fact, we get an idea as we read scripture about him that he wasn't a great looking man, that he didn't look outstandingly handsome or anything. Because unfortunately, people really are attracted to good looks and tall people sometimes. Sometimes. And there's different things that cause people to look up to people. And we don't need to look at people like that. Because someone who's Got money isn't any better than someone who doesn't, and someone who's tall versus someone who's not, and someone who's uh, beautiful, and someone who's not. We, we sometimes are like that. And Jesus doesn't seem to be like any of that. 
He just seems to be a normal-looking guy, the average Jew, but who is the Son of God. Perfect. Never having sinned. The perfect Lamb of God. And I want to stress that, so when I talk about him being meek and lowly, you don't misunderstand because I already described it inaccurately for a moment there. I wanted to correct myself. And so here, here we find in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The word considering there is the word scopio. We get our word microscope, telescope. So you take a careful look at yourself before you can ever help anyone else. Oh, that's convicting, isn't it? It doesn't say here to go and choose somebody out because you're so much more holy than them. Sometimes in church, somebody will make a mistake and another believer will go out and just let them have it in the lobby of the church. You know, I don't believe what you did to brother so-and-so and what you did, and they just let them have it. That's not at all the concept here. All right, look at this word here in verse 2. Restore. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. And mark this in your Bible, because the same word is translated here in Matthew 4, 21. When you restore someone, you mend them. You see the last line, the word mending? That's the same, comes from the same Greek word. So you don't restore someone by tearing them apart first. You go to them in, you're first of all spiritual. You're a spirit-led, spirit-full, spirit, fruit of the spirit person. You know you're right with God. You know things are right in your life. And you really want to help someone. You're really broken for them. So you go and you mend them. You don't tear them apart. Chew them out. Let them have it. That's not at all the teaching here. You mend them. If you tear them and tear them and tear them apart and chew them out and talk bad about them, you're tearing them worse. You're not mending at all. You're doing the opposite of what the Lord says to do. So here he says to mend them, to uh, restore them in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. We're not going to go much further tonight. I wanted to go a little further. We're going to go verse 2 and quit. Bear you one another's burdens. We'll go to verse 6 as well. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and to love thy neighbor as a son. You got a neighbor that annoys you? You got to love him. You got to love him. I've had two families move in our neighborhood. One, the wife is from Peru, and then two doors down, a Cuban family went and moved in. And the family between them, I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna put this on the thing, so I gotta shut up. But I decided I'm gonna go down and welcome both of the neighborhoods. So I went to both families and just said, I'm just so glad you've moved in. And they were so happy because I came, I gave one of them a Bible. So happy that I did that little simple thing. You know, we don't realize those simple little things we do can be life-changing. Because I've lived in neighborhoods, and you have too, where you don't know somebody three houses down. Unless you yell at them, fix that muffler. You woke me up for my nap. Or something, you know, I don't know. You know, or cut your grass. You know, we're, we're more concerned with physical things in the neighborhood than we are spiritual souls, you know. 
And we're wrong, aren't we? Love your neighbor as... And scripture says no man's ever hated himself. It tells us to love our wives. Same way. So here, we restore them. Then bear one of those burdens. The word burden is a word, baros. We get the word burrow from it. A.T. Robinson said, this is like going up the hill with an overload on your back and you just can't make it up. And we are supposed to bear one another's burdens. So we're supposed to come along and help someone who's got too much on them. Whether it's a neighbor physically carrying too many groceries or whether it's somebody financially or somebody who's emotionally falling apart and you can go give them a hug and pray with them. That's so meaningful. But we are supposed to bear people's burdens. God didn't make us to be burden animals. He didn't make us to be donkeys or mules. He wants us to mount up with the wings of eagles and, you know, soar for him. Not to be burdened down with burdens, and that's where we come in for one another. Now look at verse 6, and we'll close, uh, verse 5, excuse me. <clears throat> for every man shall bear his own burden. Now that's a completely different word. The Greek word translated burden is completely different. That is a word meaning responsibility. So on one hand, we're told to bear one another's burdens. On the other hand, we're told to bear our own responsibility. You know, I, I can't go up to Mike's wife and say, you're beautiful. I just want you to know you're a wonderful wife and a great person. Yeah, that would be awkward. It's his responsibility. I can't bear that burden for Brother Mike. I can't do that. I can't say to Bertha, ooh, baby, you look good today. And I wouldn't either, but that's Larry's job. But if Mike or Larry, their cars broke down, and I own an extra car, I can say, hey, let me loan you my car for a few weeks till you get your car running. Because that's something I can do that's not on them. That's an overload. But they're responsible. I can't say to a senior in high school, you know, let me study for you and prepare you. I'll study for your exam and go take it for you. No, it's his responsibility to study. But I can say to a young high school kid, I realize you're being bullied. You know, let me help you work out or let me, let me come to your school one day and do a devotional. I don't know, I'm just making things up. But my point is, they're two different words. And we are, as Christians, told several things in this text how to deal with a fallen brother, how to deal with a burdened brother, and the sixth verse we're not going to look at tonight, but how to deal with a teaching brother. And we're not going to deal with that. But that's what Galatians chapter 6 teaches us. And so I hope tonight, as I ended up doing more teaching than I did preaching, that you understand our responsibility as Christians to help those that are overloaded, to help those that have fallen, but to help them in the right way. Amen? Let's pray. God bless us. Thank you for your word tonight, for the songs we sang, for Sister Alma special, for your word. Bless us. Be with Bryce. Help Candy to get well. Be with this church, Lord. We realize that uh, the enemy hates this church. But Lord, we want to do more for you. Be obedient and please you in everything we do. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.